started by the American Broadcast Company in 1972, oh yeah, and generally broadcasting four or six times throughout the year. Oh yeah, aired when teenagers would be able to watch without their parents. Oh yeah, it's time for the Deep Space Nine after school special, Ben and Jules Solve Homelessness. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the Rules of Acquisition. It's similar to the Art of the Deal, (laughs) uh, Trump's America. Well, we're talking about an episode called Past Tense Part One tonight, which... It's about the end of the end of the Trump administration. What we have to look forward to, yeah. Oh. Sorry to be such a downer, guys. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a downer of an episode, so. Yeah. Uh, with me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. How are we doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Well, yeah, we're talking about episode 11 of season three. It's called Past Tense Part One. It originally aired January 2nd, 1995. So here we are in the middle of everything in the 90s. Uh, the IMDb description is as follows. Cisco, Bashir, and Dax are accidentally sent to San Francisco in the 21st century due to a transporter malfunction and must figure out how to get back to return without changing the timeline. Uh, this is basically the same plot of every Star Trek time travel episode ever. Yep. <laughs> Going back to the original series, even. Yeah. Know. Yeah, this is City on the Edge of Forever or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Uh, except this one, I guess... Peter Thiel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 We just had a moment of silence where we thought to ourselves about Peter Thiel and Uh, how awful he's going to steal. Well, we're too too old for him to steal our blood, aren't we? Right. Yeah. No, no, no. We're not. I don't think any of us are quite young or poor enough to sell our blood to Peter Thiel so that he could live forever like Elizabeth of Bathory. <laughs> our middle-aged, middle-class blood. Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys think about this this episode, Past Tense, Part 1? You guys have any thoughts right, right out of the gate? Uh, yeah, I got a lot of thoughts. This is, I mean, this is this is the big episode yeah. for us. This is a big, big episode. Like, I mean, we don't like to get political or topical on here if we can. We are political all the time, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just the election. This is one of the Deep Space Nine episodes that I hear reference more than anything else. They're like, oh, shit, the bell riots. Oh shit! This is this is what we're this is what we're setting ourselves up for. We're in it. Yeah, and I would see. I don't know how well it matches up, but it does in some ways. And this it, would seem this episode would probably seemed a lot more ridiculous four years ago. Yeah, I would gather. Yeah, it seems less ridiculous. Yeah, when I redid my watch in 2013, this was a lot more of a. This episode, we should our our cast crew for Cisco Bashir Dax go to 2024, and. Eight years from now. Yeah, eight, eight years from now. Sections of America's population are living in walled off communities where they were promised jobs and they were promised, you know, all sorts of opportunity because apparently they're poor. Something wrong with them other than they're poor. So I guess somewhere along the line, America's poor people were gathered up in walled off sections of America's cities called sanctuaries. And Dax and Bashir and Cisco are kind of thrown into the, the politics. Dax is on with the rich guy, software magnate. Because uh, she's a pretty, she's a pretty white girl. So she's... Yeah, Chris Brenner. Yeah, I was I was watching it with my uh, girlfriend, and she's like, "How come 
Well, that's sexist. <laughs> like the hot lady just gets not to have to deal with it. Yeah, the, the pretty white girl gets to hang out with like the rich people. Well, <laughs> right. Hey, but hey, well, the two bit of yeah. color. Well, the two bit of color get the toil in the sanctuary suit. <laughs> Which, yeah, right. well, that's and life. Yeah. Uh, sanctuary suit is basically what Trump thinks Jones's uh, district looks like right now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's like what happens when the safety net is totally fallen through. You know, people that can't get jobs, they just get pushed away. People forget about them. And it's not the other thing. It's not just people that, that can't get work that are promised work that can't get it. It's also mentally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people with problems that should be in a hospital. They just, right. There's a health care issue as yeah, well, yeah. like a health care component as well. I mean, it's so also, it's like the unemployed and mentally ill are thrown into the New York set of Seinfeld. I think that's where yes. they filmed it. Yes. <laughs> right. So right, right. if you haven't seen yeah. the episode. And and also and also Giuliani. Well, I mean, Giuliani did this shit in the 90s where he in New York. Speaking of, he just got all the rounded up all the homeless people and put them away. Just sent them out of town into places. Mm-hmm. Well, they're uh, get them out of sight, out of mind and people don't care anymore. There's a story while the this was basically written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Mm-hmm. And while they were after they had wrote it and locked the script and went into production, they were all reading an article from the Los Angeles Times that the mayor at that time was trying to create a gated homeless city. Right, right. Yeah, I did see that. Somewhere in, uh, somewhere in L.A. So they were all kind of freaked out by that at the time, that they, essentially that L.A. was trying to start up a sanctuary district while they were taking this to print. After they wrote this? After they wrote the script. Yeah. Yeah. But while it was in production. While the while this episode was in production, yeah. Well, okay, so this is where I feel that it's got a weird. There's a weird, like anti-liberal bent to this, where you see like failed social program, like how like a failed social programs have actually people are actually enslaved by it. I don't know. I feel I kind of hate this episode, guys. Uh, am I alone here with this? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like this episode. And I think that maybe you're, and, I don't read that in it at all because I believe that I, I don't believe that there's like a, like an anti. Okay. So the liberals wanted to give people jobs and they wanted to take care of the mentally ill. They just put them in these sanctuary cities and forgot about them. I think, well, well they no, don't the, say the, the liberal. The, Hold on. They don't say the, the liberals. Yeah, it, they're saying that they're not funding the food go- card. They get beat up for food, food cards, James. I mean, yeah, no, I know that. I know that. But that's, I mean, exactly, that's exactly what Trump would do. That's exactly what Trump would look like. Well, yeah, like the, the, the show is not ar- the, the show is arguing that they're not that these programs are not funded. That I, I looked at it as more as this is what a draining the system looks like and taking away the social safety. Yeah, that's how this I saw is it what too, yeah. this is what Gro- this is what Grover Norquist wants America to look like in the interim to becoming his like burning man wasteland. Um, <laughs> this is what it would look like in the middle. That's the way I took it. Yeah. That's the way I saw it. They, they defunded everything. So there's no safety net. They don't, they give a, the littlest they can. They, it's not about building these sanctuaries. Yeah. Cities. I don't know. It's, it's like, like take care it's... of people. The whole plot of this is that it's not to take care of people. It's just to get them out of sight, out of mind. Right. And there, I mean, and Bashir later, once we get through the show and start breaking it down, we'll get to the, because I mean, they get pretty heavy handed and I think they know. get, yeah, I think it gets too heavy handed. Part of this feels pretty good. I, I enjoyed this because I could watch it with my girlfriend and she was actually interested in watching it. I was like, holy shit, I'm not going to squander this opportunity. I can't get her to watch Star Trek at all. Because of the sort of serious elements of it, like the, the social. If your girlfriend's like, if, we just took out the Star Trek component 
and just have <laughs> if we, I'd watch I, your girlfriend would watch a show that takes place eight years in the future. That says like far futuristic as she wants to get. Yeah. 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 It sounds Maybe. like it sounds like your girlfriend wants to watch The Wire. And I encourage her to do that. I wish she wanted to watch The Wire. But um, she wants yeah. <laughs> she'll watch it's like it well it, mm-hmm. she's right behind me. I won't say anything. Uh, okay. She's asleep. No, I, I think yeah, I think that, and I've read tons of stuff that Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf wrote on this, where their their goal was, I mean, their sort of impetus of us was anti-homeless policies that were winding their way around, like Giuliani and like what was going on in L.A. at the time. And this was like the L.A., like this was the mayor and this was the, this was the L.A. of the O.J. trial, like in 1994, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a L.A. that we're somewhat used to from popular culture and just from, you know, from American crime story and all that stuff. This was that sort of stuff. So I don't think this was, I think this was an argument for a more socialism and not an argument against like the dangers of socialism and social and the welfare state. Obviously I kind of get, I, I know that's what I think that's what it was striving to be. But I feel like Grover Norquist could watch this episode and say, see, this is what people on. on the, yeah. You know, this is why this shouldn't be in charge of of people's. That's why you shouldn't have an handy. So yeah. it's like I think what they're striving for and what they actually achieved are two different things. And it's a little bit aspect is a little bit muddled. I'm just saying. I, I agree. It, there was a serious. Here's what I hate about the Star Trek, though, is because they're hitting some very real problems, and it's just real solutions that are going to be offered at this. It's going to be oh, the Federation. That's the solution. So <laughs> they bring yeah. up these social problems and don't really hand. It's them. the Great Man Theory that Gabriel Bell stands up for the people and changes the public and sways the public opinion. And yeah, well, they they say in it that it's the almost the culmination of a hundred years of social problems. They're talking about 1994, and, and it's I, I, I'm of, as a man who just lived through the Obama years to come into the Trump years. I do see that the great man theory of a man standing up for values and changing public opinion based on his greatness is is like the cult of personality. <laughs> strength that yeah that that's not going i do admit that he's got a point that the the solution and i uh well we're not talking about anything in the second episode but like yeah that the solution just as the story about the bell riots the solution to it is pretty facile well to the problems amounted well you're also approaching it from the point of view of we've had it pretty easy like the whole point is that you have to go through this suffering to have a great man mean anything <laughs> well i mean you had the bush years but obama wasn't doing it we've never even in our middle-aged <laughs> middle class of mm. lives haven't really had to deal with adversity in the same way that people in the bell riots and or people before us in Nam or World War II. But I assume that the hundred. But well, well, hold on. This, the guy's getting Maori tattoos in the mid nineties. Well, so you can was, imagine that that's just retro futurism, man. Okay, this yeah, is, we'll talk about how we'll talk about how funny that. Yeah, well, yeah. That, oh my god. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you stole my. Oh, so 1994. Was, so in the world of this, 1994 was 
1994 that we know. Like yeah. that that guy. Oh, yeah. That guy got a Maori tattoo while on vacation <laughs> while watching uh, like a clip about the OJ trial on the TV at the tattoo bar. I got it in high school back in the 90s, just like I know else. that that situates that man for me. <laughs> yeah. And so then you think that you extrapolate for 30 years out from that, yeah, and to where they get from here, it doesn't seem like that's my life. I don't, yeah, that guy's our I age. That character is our age. Yeah, he's our age. Oh, I mean, when I was in high school, I very nearly got a Chinese character tattooed on my body. Yes. Like, thank God I didn't. They would have said, like, asshole and Mandarin. They would have never let you work at Channel 90 for that. <laughs> Channel 90, right. Do we want to start talking about the show? Well, no, let me, but like, I, I do think, I mean, this is about that. I think that. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Hugh's, Hugh's right in that the idea and this is sort of, I'll say this is a problem with just liberalism in general, is that we think that, because this goes into a larger theme I wanted to talk about with this episode, but just to start, that I think that the solutions to it are just like a great problem and expose a great problem. Uh, class issues, this episode's pretty good about that, showing like the disparity of the class. And I like that the sanctuary city's not all, you know, people of color, like the, the father from mm-hmm. Life Goes On. Corky's dad is in there and you get to see him as like a face. That's a, that's a character that's there and will be there through the next episode. Web. Yeah. Is that, yeah, I guess. Maybe they don't say it in this one. Sorry. Spoilers. (laughs) I'm going to spoil as much shit as I want in this episode, but I think his name's Webb. He was Corky's dad and life goes on. Yeah. His name is Webb and he's a central figure in the bell riots. Yes. But this idea that this man saved the hostages, but he was, he was a poor, he was a gimme that somehow like this man will sway public opinion where we know that's just, you can see it play out. Like, yeah, someone sways it, and then someone writes, this guy was so great. And if it, and 130 people share it on Facebook and Twitter, and then the next thing is some Russian troll, like disguised as, a, as some Nazi Russian troll, is writing, fuck that guy. Yeah, well. Like, he was, he was you know, he was probably a hand-up drug dealer. Thug. I, like, and then it all descends into, like, why do all these, you know, it's so we know how that works, that this kind of stuff collapses. Yeah, well, it's, they do in the second episode, spoilers. Yeah. They do go through and show, they go through where they hack the web, hack into the mainframe. They jack in. Yeah, they jack in. And then they start showing that, I mean, even that the Bell Rights, they go out of their way to show that it's regular people and families. Sure. But you're right. Well, and the whole point of the Bell Riots is that nobody cares anymore. The, and I'm not saying the people that's calling Gabriel Bell a fuck have a point. I'm just saying that they would. So this gets me to a larger thing that I was wanting to talk about, just that I think we should, I would like to hear us sort of gab about for a little bit, is important sci-fi. Like, whenever these sci-fi... Because I want to say that I think that Hugh probably has opinions about this, and I think you do, too. Yeah. That, what does it mean? Like, like where does I, this... Do we want to break down this episode first? Because I feel like this is a big discussion. Okay, okay, we can break it down first. This, this episode probably quick to break down. Yeah, yeah. Well, not much actually happens in this episode. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah. Just, so it's, yeah. it starts off there, for some reason, we have... Oh, all of a sudden, we're not at the edge of the Alpha Quadrant, near the Gamma Quadrant, in the wormhole. We're right near Earth. Everybody's on a symposium to Earth. They're at Earth on a symposium on the Gamma Quadrant. And they're all worried about the... Everybody's like, oh, home is home. And Dax thinks it should be more purple. And Hera thinks that it should be more green. Yeah, by the, the way, purple purple water, that ain't water. 
I don't know. Like, no, who knows what kind of weird pulls they have on Trail Homeworld? It's probably not water, though. Well, you don't know what flora or fauna or coloring it, but that's your. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I was, I was thinking yeah, that's, that with that's gr- your earthist view. Maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying, water's water's clear. Well, I mean, blue, well, blue and deep. Blue, yeah. But yeah, I got, I got you. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyway. So, oh, and, and just to just to hunt, after watching these two episodes, Hira mentions admirals a lot. When she's because mm-hmm. there's like the a plot, it's all a plot, but it's you go back and forth between the people in 2024 and then them on the Defiant. I would call the Kira O'Brien stuff a B plot. I mean, it's treated like a B plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But every she talks about, oh, let me contact. They talk about Admiral Drozman, and then like, oh no, not Droner Drozman because they're going to go to a state dinner or something. And then O'Brien is like, fuck this. That's why I'm an enlisted man. I don't want to deal with everybody. They get your. You have to eat with the right fork, and you have to do this, and wear your fancy uniforms. Like, fuck that. That's not what I'm about. <laughs> and then Jadzia and Bashir are like, well, we want to go. And then they're like, Kira, do you want to go? And she's like, fuck that. And Odo's like, no, fuck that. But uh, Droner Drozman, she mentions that admiral, and it's like, oh no, Admiral Drozman, commander of the Proxima Main Yards. Blah blah blah. This is boring. I'll cut it around. It. <laughs> well, so, but but every time Kira mentions a, an admiral over and over in this two-parter, uh-huh. never mentions the same admiral twice. Oh, she just goes through a whole litany of admirals she's going to deal with. Yeah. I also thought that there was a uh, that. That whole conversation, and I'm sure they didn't mean for it. I'm sure they meant for it to be lighthearted and fun. But A, that whole conversation about none of them really wanting to go to the the stodgy-ass, like, highfalutin Starfleet dinner made it not seem the egalitarian sort of Starfleet that we wanted. It seemed like... First off, Starfleet is gross and boring, and it made it sound like going to Louis XIV's court. <laughs> and in contrast to, like, the sort of Age of Enlightenment that it's supposed to be compared to the Bell Riots... It sounds that that was a weird off note to I mean, me. It was fine because yeah. it's making it like a, you got like four forks for four courses and all this shit. It sounds exactly like that's what the French like that that put the Marie Antoinette's head on a spike. That's like what they said. <laughs> that's ex- <laughs> so I mean, like I, it elicited a weird amount of class resentment in that conversation. And it's all there just to keep the amount of people going back. But I love I love O'Brien's last resentment. Though. Yeah. He's like, I'm an enlisted man. Fuck him. He is a he's a cellist though. Right. But no. <laughs> like his yeah. His father wouldn't would didn't want his son working in the coal mines. I'm a poet, damn it. Yeah, he wanted him to be he wanted him to be a cellist. So no, that but then we that was just a weird sort of thing. Like I would have if I was writing that, I know that they didn't mean for it to be that way. But when I was watching, I was going, this is kind of all like class resentment shit, which is weird, which is going to be off-putting later in the episode. Which, I don't know. Well, thematic relation, it is maybe a little... They're not quite over class. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So you bring up a good point, both of you do, because there's a transition from the 1960s to here in 1995 with how culture is depicted, like the, the corporate culture or whatever is depicted in the Federation. In the early, in the early ones, every Everybody sort of knows everybody and there's this real like old boys club aspect mm-hmm. to, to like the military is like what the hell are you doing out there frank you know and you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff like <laughs> and they have this weird familiarity about it and mm-hmm. then of course picard has that to a degree at the beginning uh, and then it kind of like ebbs out until you get to the mid 90s and cisco and, and it's all dress uniforms and stodgy dinners and yeah class yeah. it's like so I think that 
yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and it, it and it did shift over like that those thirty years or whatever. But anyway, yeah, yeah, okay, it, so, it, it, then yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's a boring. He it's like when they talk about Captain blah 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 at the end of last season. And then they blow up his ship. He's kind of a downer. Like, oh, that guy, he's a blowhard. And we've seen from Next Generation already that every admiral is probably a traitor. Yeah. <laughs> an asshole, anyway. They, but then, yeah, that, then Quark calls to, to get in his requisite screen time. He does. Computer screen. To ask some sort of unnecessary favor of Cisco just to get, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have to say, though, that it does have two quality, that their conversation just, it's a one-off, useless conversation, but it has two quality uh, rules of acquisition. Rules of acquisition, yeah. The Nagus wants to get his, his nephew, Belongo, back from Alderbaran 3. And then he's like, well, you know, uh, because the Fringi were instrumental in getting in touch with the Dominion. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we get two rules of acquisition. We get rule 111, because the Nagus has Cisco over a barrel. Treat people in your debt like family exploits them yes <laughs> which is then, which is not an aphorism which is an actual clever turn of phrase and a te- clever statement that i i give it an a plus because we've had they've been mostly stinkers since season one <laughs> mid, midway through season one yeah yeah. yeah yeah can we get can we start giving ratings to rules of acquisitions <laughs> yes and how much they are just bastardizations of already english <laughs> phrases yeah yes because then this cisco shoots back at him like oh okay well I'll do what I can because I know rule 111, but I also know rule 217, which is you can't free a fish from water. Which doesn't, yeah, which is also good, which is good, but it doesn't feel very business related. But uh, uh, I, I, it does is that you can't like, you know, like, bitch is going to be bitches. Like you can't like <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can't take the bitch out of bitches. Your cousin might be in jail because he belongs in jail. That's, that's what he swims in. You can't fight. You can't fight City Hall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's his that's his nature, man. That's that's going to be who he's going to be. And, I, you know, I like that that was a that was clever. It shows it shows Cisco. It, they use a rule of acquisition not to just prattle out shit so that nerds can write it down on a legal pad, but actually... <laughs> and be- recite it from a podcast later. Yeah, yes. I get it. <laughs> but, like, because it actually informs, Cisco is actually being, like, a hard-ass, clever, sort of sophisticated negotiator in that letter say sequence. Yeah, he's like... He's, he even says, like, oh, I've done my homework. I know... Yeah. I, I know your rules. Now. I've been boning up on your rules. Yeah, so... That's good stuff. But then... Then they beam down, and something goes wrong, and Cisco and Bashir show up mm-hmm. outside of the sign. I read it, DVD era, but you can still read that it says Prometheus Gifts and Knickknacks. <laughs> it's the name of a store yeah. that they beam in. This is the Paramount. This them. is the Paramount backlot. This is Literally. you've seen this on everything in your. You've seen this on everything growing up. This is the. Uh, I think you see everything this last fall. Whenever Lorelai Gilmore waited in line in <laughs> New York City. <laughs> She waited <laughs> in you know, 2024 San Francisco. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Prometheus gifts and knickknacks and they're on a subway platform or right outside of one and somebody steals their comm badges, I guess, because we never see them. Yeah. We never hear from them. We never hear from any homeless people getting their comm signals until episode two of this arc. That's a whole other thing. Tune in to learn later. Yeah. But, but I, I do have to say that... Except not their, not their combat. Yeah. I do think that you can see that someone very uh, effectively paid for 
extra or they were very judicious in how they use their extras because you know they have to have a lot of extras for these sanctuary cities or it won't look it'll look like <laughs> you and two other guys are in a really shitty situation here in 2024 oh yeah but there is while they're on the streets literally no one and there is a long scene between Dax and a Maori tattoo. Chris Brenner. On a platform, a BART financial district subway platform. And they have a whole scene and no one passes them yeah. in the middle of the day. So, so they, that it just looked like they were on like, is this a private subway platform? Is this just yours? Like, do you own this platform? <laughs> right, well, right. when you but check anyway. out, the, actually, that makes a little bit of sense, if I can defend that a little bit. Because if only millionaires are allowed to walk the street, it's probably... That's true. <laughs> probably just, it's a probably pretty... pretty. Uh, yeah, they cleaned true. up the Bart, man. There's not all those homeless people lounging around well, anymore. Well, just like so people. Like, there's people who are just like middle class and just need a job. And you take the middle class people and the poor people, and then you take the mentally ill people away, then it, all you're left with this like you know upper middle class and rich people Just, it probably is a pretty quiet you know subway ride or quiet, whatever clean, yeah yeah right, right, i'm right. sure it's like the shang not shanghai the singapore subway or whatever but still like they're in front of like a huge financial building they leave it and go up to the building how do those workers get there if they're not on that subway? they drive man they're rich they get i know parking san francisco but anyway yeah the chronoton particles and the ablative armor of the defiant <sighs> and a singularity came through mm-hmm. and shunted it through to a different timeline and that's where they yeah were. this Lots is techno babble for o'brien in this one yeah you gotta explain your shit your magic and i know why they do it and i know why they, but uh if there, if there was just the amount of problems that they've had on transporters in this show People would never use transport. <laughs> right. Just, I, I mean, people don't want to fly yeah. planes. Hey, like, man, unless you have a cloaking device, you wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. But the chronoton particles and the ablative armor and the... Okay, okay, okay. My brain just melts. But still, like, there's a reason why planes crash. You know, anomalies are what crash planes, but still they crash. Yeah. It just seems like the, I get why they do it, but I and I, it's, a, it's fodder for great storytelling. But just if you had it, like, I would never get on one of those transporters. That'd scare the shit out of me. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's an Enterprise issue. We're talking about Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then... So they land in there, two cops pick them up, and one of them is Dick Miller. He's been in every television show for 30 years previous to this. Yeah. It was great. Yes. He clearly brought, like, a TV... Ta- I don't know. Bashir's rough in this episode, guys. And watching him... What? I thought Bashir was good in this head. Nope. <laughs> nope. No. I thought he was fine. Okay, I'm going to stand no, up for no, that. No, 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 Okay. He's a good Wait. doctor. He's what? He's it. Well, come on. I've had, look, I'm not trying to be the guy that always defends the people, that, but like, how is he bad? At? He's a good doctor. He's outraged like Bones always was. About like, he delivers the kids show line. Because first off, he is the one. They give the, <laughs> they give the call, the over preachy. Why do people have to suffer, Cisco? Well, you know, like he had to ask all of those questions. If they had the medicine, why don't they do something about the homeless? They had that sort of he had to do all of that right. Yeah, you have to ask those questions. And he did it in a he did it in like a. But uh, what do you like? Like it wasn't. He's like befuddled, <laughs> disgust. <laughs> well, he's he, he didn't study 21st century, 21st century history. Not one of my strong points. It was too depressing for Too him. depressing. He's a doctor. He wants to help people. And Cisco is. It's been a hobby of mine. Cisco's 
pretty woke. He knows all. Of this yeah, stuff. I get, I get all that. And I, he's like, oh, I, it's a thing. Well, this is why I wanted to talk about like the when you're trying to write important wait, wait. science. Let's take I, I, important I, I, science. We got crack the rest of this episode over. Basically, what happens is is that during this OG whiz, why do people have to suffer, Commander Cisco? We find out that the sanctuary areas are about to explode, like Neo Tokyo. Yeah. Except yeah. this time, it's going to be a class riot. There's going to be some people dying. Poor people are going to die. It's going to be brought to the world's attention. This Gabriel Bell character is the one that is a central figure to these riots. And it's one of the defining moments that creates the makes way for the Federation to exist. And these guys happen to be just laying there like two days before it's going to happen. So they're in the middle of it. The episode ends with a fight and Gabriel Bell accidentally gets killed. Yep. <laughs> gets... Oh, yeah. Well, that's right before the ending. Right. But... I mean, it's five minutes till the end. He accidentally gets killed. And then yeah, yeah, Cisco yeah. picks up the mantle of because apparently they're interchangeable. Uh, he could just it, easily. It actually is Cisco's body double. The guy who played Gabriel Bell is actually Cisco's body double. Okay. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. So he takes on the mantle of Gabriel Bell. And that's the last line of this episode is my name is Gabriel Bell. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. OK, and, so and you didn't like that because I thought that worked. Yeah, pretty well. that but actually, we were talking about Bashir's walk and talk. And this goes like, the, no, we were trying to get it because I'm going to go into this whole big thing about how to write. I want to do this whole thing about important science fiction. And so I, like, we want to do the science fiction hat on. This isn't yeah. about stem bolts this week. This has like <laughs> this this episode put its important science fiction hat on. That's why like Star Trek feels like it can pull this stuff off. It's almost like an entitled rich kid. You know, their dad, you know, this episode was born on third base and it thinks it hit a home run. Okay, because it's Star Trek. It's it definitely put its important sci fi hat on. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it did. But I appreciate the big important sci-fi hat for a 90s tv show to take these big ideas well on. okay so let's my question is is that obviously we all like yes art should reflect real life and it should and, you know and bashir has to be the guy that doesn't know it so cisco can explain the kind of philosophical under you know like the history okay there's two sort of things that's what we're okay so let me let me get my the whole like let, let me ask the question before we get to the hashing it out and it even gets bashir's like hey we could help these people and it's like no we can't and we'd fuck up the timeline and Cisco's pretty good about that until gabriel bell dies he's and there's a several times where he bashir's trying to be a good doctor and like I want to help this person and just goes like we can't help these people not not now but you know there's something going to happen it's going to pave the well way for a better future and Bashir's like these people are sick like the mentally ill people here there's medicine now that could help these people but nobody cares mm -hmm. and you know which is a big this this is what I liked about the episode yeah nobody cares anymore but it's like oh after 100 years people just don't care anymore that's that's where I feel like this is tangible to where we are now. I totally agree with you. I just think that it, that's it, where they drop it. Yeah, that's where it's, it's like they've forgotten how to care. They've forgotten how to care. They don't understand. So the, and then Gabriel Bell and this riots are, is going to be an inciting incident. Well, see, okay, Bell at that point comes a plot device instead of an actual solution to their posed question. That's, that's what, okay. I think. So let me. Okay, so this is part of parcel, not just in Star Trek, but in just in general of important sci-fi. Sci-fi explaining interesting sort of questions. I mean, like the way Ender's Game was about the Cold War, the way there's a lot of these sort of things where sci-fi addresses these real world issues and, and sort of reflects back on them and through removing the situation from the immediacy of the now. You can, by making it about a fictional character, you can sort of recontextualize it and suck people in to think about these ideas more. 
And I think that that's what Star Trek was. I think that's what Iris Stephen Bear and, and rightfully so. That's what they wanted to do was tell a story about something that they were passionate about in the real world of 1994 and make this episode about that in the context of the show so that the fans who don't think about that kind of stuff can think about it. And, and it can give the level of importance to their a more important message to their viewers and other sci fi to their readers that just came for cool ships and cool costumes and space aliens and give them a message about the world today. And that is, I think, a totally noble thing. And I think this is good. And I like this episode. Mm-hmm. You, Hugh seems a lot more confrontational about it. But I think how you get to that, it seems to be that you have to be, it puts an added strain on the writer to be a real, to touch these things very with, you have to be good. You have to have to like the quality, you have to earn these things. And I think that they basically just did a preach dump in the middle yeah. of this episode in right. this long conversation. They, they did, but I'd like And I think that personally. when I'm sitting there, I'm just like this entire, first off, it's show not tell, but they don't have a lot of time. That's why things like the quark scene and shit like that, like get that, I mean, I know why it's in there, but get that shit out of there because it's not like you need a little bit more space for quality. Yeah, but- and I think that they've done it in some of those scenes. Like a, a way to do that well is that Cisco's sitting in this, what looks like seriously, like every civic civil government waiting room that you've ever been in. That yeah. literally does look like that. And this man is drawing on Cisco's leg. And Cisco sort of, you know, commanderly takes his arm and, and takes his takes his hand and puts it off. Oh, I thought he was pretty gentle about it. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, yeah, but it was definitive. He wasn't mean. He wasn't like I actually like, that's one of the bright spots of that little little, little, little it was one of the bright spots of the show yeah. for me. But yeah, that's what I'm I'm using that as a positive example. So and then the guy starts driving on the other thing. So you see that you're dealing with people who need special care. They shouldn't be in this situation. That was a way to show that and not tell that. But I felt like they just had a need yeah. to just do a big dump of ex- a preach. Well, they showed that and then they had to tell that because it's 1995. Yeah. And yes, I believe. And, you know, and I didn't mind that too it's just like you know it's just exposition that they need to get out and that's how you do it you have the ignorant character and you have the guy that knows his history the guy has to explain the history to him and that's like that seems like a perfectly fine device to me Though I did, you know, I was watching it with my girlfriend, like <laughs> not to be like every nerd that I've played D&D with that feels like insisting to remind you that they have a girlfriend. <laughs> but, uh, but she was like, oh, this is this is rather preachy, isn't it? Like, yeah, well, this is Star Trek. Yeah. What do you want? Well, I think it's done better in other Star Trek episodes, but it is it's a dump. And and I what I meant by Bashir is he. Yeah, the, he was bad. He was bad. He just Avery Brooks approached that. Avery, I didn't think he was bad at all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna ride or die on this. He was wow. pretty good in this episode. Really, pretty good. Yeah, yeah I think so. I thought he was um, awful in this episode. I, thought I, he was I don't want it, this to be a gang up on Bashir and Wade episode, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna backpedal a little bit yeah, and see like a little bit more, more. I just feel like I mean, and everybody, your mileage may vary on this kind of stuff, but I felt that he that might be what it is. Is that like my my mileage is is pretty. Used up. Um, I've been yeah, I mean, a lot with with the. I think everybody was Cisco and Bashir were fine in this, and it's interesting to me that y'all think he was so terrible. And I think Cisco is great most of the time, but there's sometimes where he's bad, where y'all just think it's wonderful, and I don't. Yeah, I really li- I, I like Avery Brooks's choices, whereas I feel like Bashir doesn't really make choices. Yeah, <laughs> like I felt like he had to he had to explain the he's he's a doctor and he's outraged at these people not getting. Yeah, but you're talking about the, you're talking about his character. 
character points. I'm saying that I think Alan. No, I'm Alan, saying the way he sold the character points. I, I think Alexander's a dick was shitty in this episode. Yeah, I see. I disagree with you. I think he's. I think he's getting his. I think the things that he was saying I didn't was had any reason to could have been wrote a little bit more sophisticated. But I think his acting choices were just generic. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what. Like, I don't have a problem with the right. I mean, well, it was a little preachy. I don't know how else to explain. It was just getting like, oh, you can't do it subtly to have people notice to get the point. I, you, I mean, Especially in, that's what. And I think that that's the problem that I have. The point with, is like that people need to care again, and how did? Yeah, they, and I think that's the, the big problem with important with earnestness the, yeah it's, it's it's it is i don't mind the earnestness i like earnestness in and work i think because i thought he it was bashir's playing an earnest character and i thought he sold it with earnesty yeah <laughs> I, I don't mind earnestness from the point of view of the writers but actors i mean do you walk through in your day just being earnest <laughs> Like, Some people do. I don't, but we're both. We're all cynical assholes. No, I think he there, he could have used some shading. This was yes. just flat colors where he could have used yeah. some gradients. I, he was giving his read through performance. I'm pretty sure. I I, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. And you know what? Hey fans, <laughs> let's take my side. Nine one seven four zero eight three eight nine eight. So I, I yeah I thought I mean I'm gonna say I think this is probably his worst performance in since the first season. I think he was. Really? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. he was struck. I, he was struck mightily. And what I what I thought. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, like I, I don't see it. I, I'm I, I'm kind of just you're blowing me away by how much you thought he was awful. And it, like I was blown away by how 90s this shit yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, we, we could talk about that too. The performance. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like the the computers are giant. The, oh, and you can join my interface input or whatever it is instead of you can use my interface terminal if you wish it's called a computer yeah yeah guys this is 1994 that it was written and and made and finally (laughs) aired in 1995 when did we stop when did we as like a culture stop saying the net Dude, like, it was when, wait. That, that, you don't. You think about that. We didn't. I didn't get on the internet until after Windows ninety five came out, which yeah, would have been after this episode. But I mean, I, you know, we're yeah. on the. In, we always say the internet. We say yeah. the internet. Yeah. The net never caught on. But boy, the net, I guess we have yeah, eight years. I, I, I can't fault them for that. I know. I'm just. I, I'm, I'm just, just curious yeah, as a like, as a culture. Why do we think that the longer phrase? Because it's usually the shorter phrase, right? Yeah, that is weird. That yeah. I think it was because people sold the net real hard. I think it was just backlash to people calling it the net. Yeah. I think that there's a, a immediate, because we're Generation X, and I was listening to this whole thing about Dan Harmon was trying to describe what Generation X was as a post-mortem on us, because we're basically just dead as an important, like it's, sure. there was boomer, the world is the war between the boomers and the millennials, and we're just the assholes in the middle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true like, yeah, because we were all like, mm, look at man, nothing matters, and these millennials are like, yeah. Yeah, we can do anything. And we're all just like, God damn it. Fuck you, asshole kids. <laughs> like, so Dan, Dan Harmon, since we had no noticeable attribute other than our uh, integrity and we we were in, we had integrity because we didn't do shit. Mm-hmm. We were averse to it and like all of that stuff. And, he was, and someone was like, yeah, you, well, you, you let the Gulf War, have, you know, the Iraqi war and all that shit. And he's like, yeah, but we were really shitty. about. we said really shitty things about it. <laughs> yeah. That basically we're, we're a generation of David Crosses. <laughs> And, and and I think that that's an interesting, and I think that probably that's what happened is that Sandra Bullock movies and television shows and Good Morning America called it the net, and we were just like. 
fuck you. We're not calling it that. <laughs> we're going to call it the internet because we're we're uptight assholes. And, right. and because the internet has more integrity. I'll explain. I'll uh, I'll, I'll accept that answer. Yeah. That, that's, that, that was my question. <laughs> that's a good answer. Um, <laughs> what do you guys think as far as just a pure, on its pure storytelling level, you know, act structure, whatnot, it takes its turns pretty well, I think. You know, I'm not I'm not hard on how it's built. You know what I mean? I'm that's not where I take umbrage, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I watched both episodes together and it feels like one big hole to me right. more so than yeah. but, uh, Oh, can we talk about the Fedora boys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the bad the bad guys. The, yeah, Ellen, that's the the, the, the douchebag hats are slightly different fedoras than we associate with your yeah. douchebags nowadays. But all the bad guys were. Yeah, yeah. They didn't get the net right, but they got neck beards. They nailed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the ghosts. There's gimme ghost and dims. Yeah, and I, it's almost an anti-Randian kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like the gimmies are the good people because they just like just give me a job and I'll try to do the work. Give me a job instead of the the takers or whatever. The people who are trying to yeah scavenge off the people around them. Yeah, I mean, oh, you know, you're you're really and Randian people will try to. There's a what's the word they use from the Atlas Shrine? I didn't read that dumb. Oh, uh, the fuck. It's like goop moochers. Yeah, right? yeah. Paul, I'm sure we'll call Paul Ryan. If Paul Ryan's listening, call us in and let us know. What, oh, what I'm so <laughs> sick of Paul Ryan. Yeah, 917-408-3898. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, and the gimmies are the ones that give me, just give me a job and I'll try it. And they're good guys. Yeah. And Dems are mentally ill people. Yeah. And the ghosts are assholes and funny hats. Yeah. One of the things that we didn't talk about is that because of Gabriel Bell dying, Starfleet disappears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the Defiant is like the last stand. It's in a. It- but not until then the timeline matches up that he decides that the Gabriel Bell dies. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's kind of a Doctor Who time travel kind of thing, but and to do another uh, Dan Harmon thing, they even do the the Doctor Who ripoff, Inspector Space Time, yeah. on Community. Because not where are we, Reggie, but when are we? Yeah, they yeah. do that exact thing. It's not where they landed, Kira. Where? It's when. It's not where. When. Okay, here here's the thing. These guys have had temporal displacement training through Starfleet, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they bring it up. Oh yeah, they yeah. bring it up. Yeah. Bashir is like I and, and y'all shitting on Bashir's over explanation of everything, but it's like, oh, this I can't, it's hard to agree with temporal displacement right. protocol when you're faced with suffering. Okay, but that's my whole point. If Starfleet were real and time travel was a real problem that had many occurrences, Every communicator badge would have a little cyanide capsule built into it. And if you get sent back in time, you're asked the protocol is to take the shit that take that pill as yeah. soon as as soon as you realize when you are. That way you don't fuck any of this anything up. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Or as often as it happens, that would be the protocol. Right. But then we'd have a TV show is full of just dead people. Well, I know, but, but that's what I'm saying. That's why it doesn't make for good television. I'm just saying if it was a real thing, this episode. I want to see that. That's like, that's, I don't know. That's a comedy sketch, I guess. Like, oh shit, we're in 1994. Dead. That's the thing is that, you know, you know, that's the chance when you sign up for Starfleet, you might end up, you know, in the roaring 20s and end up having to take a cyanide capsule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway. hanging out with Mark Twain, having to take. A- yes, I, I agree with that. But then while well, he said that and they're in a little chrono bubble, the Defiant's in a chrono bubble. 
and the entire universe is subspace bubble from the singularity yes and the chronoton particles and the ablative armor oh my my eyes are bleeding <laughs> that is what voyager should have been voyager should have been that they're trapped in the alpha quadrant but starfleet didn't happen so then you can still deal with shit it's not like everything oh, is man there's a lot of things voyager should have been but yeah but i'm saying that that sounds like fun to me where you gotta like go where starfleet's gotta go meet the vulcans and deal with all of the stuff to get the like we gotta fix the timeline yeah well but we don't have nerds were mad enough about retconning every star trek thing with the kelvin universe and they kind of got around it but you'd piss people off if you just retcon the whole you're not retconning it you're trying to get back you're trying to fix the timeline they're trying to fix the timeline. Yeah. So they're trying to find it, go back in the time well, periods and places. But not this exact moment, but like somebody creates a thing and erases Starfleet in past race Starfleet. It's happened like 20 times. But the ship itself is protected in a chrono bubble. So then they get to like sort of play around and they get to like sort of negotiate. That sounds like a fun start. Yeah. That that sounds like a, a good. Yeah. I'm saying you think that's a great idea and it might be. But, but you're not um, changing. I don't think it's going to sell. But you're not hard. changing anything. I'm not killing Kirk. I'm not ruining all the, those stories still happen well it depends on what kind of time travel we're talking about are we talking about oh shit never mind nerd corner da, 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 i'm da. not ready to pitch this story yet i'm just saying that that sounds like <laughs> one of those ideas that's artive with interesting sort of ideas yeah yeah that seems like a premise that's more than people go around and they meet alien races that you've never heard of and are boring, which is all I've seen avoid. Yeah, well, but that's what people wanted was we've heard of all this other stuff in Deep Space Nine. They wanted new stuff. Problem with Voyager wasn't that they were meeting new races. That's what people want. Yeah, that race, was but, the uh, problem with Voyager at all. I don't know. It was the, it was so disconnected from anything. It would be more interesting. I liked what I liked about Enterprise is that they're dealing with pre-established alien races. Yeah, that's that's not necessarily what people want from their Star Trek. You fuck that. I want Vulcans. I want Romulans. I want Klingons. I want shit. Our, like, I don't know. I don't need like all these people that don't matter. I need these people that matter. You know, that's that's what I want. I don't want new, uh, yeah. new are we, various. Are we talking about Deep Space Nine anymore? I'm saying that that's, I'm pitching the uh, Voyager in time. Lost in time. That sounds like a more fun thing to me. But fine. That you get to deal with what would Vulcans have been like without Starfleet? What would, you know, all of that. I don't know how to get back to Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, Wade. We, 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 we're, <laughs> well, we're just trying to wrap up the end of this episode. I, I, think, that, the end, I, I think, think that the nuts and bolts of this episode were good. I have problems with some of the execution. I think it's a sort of a miss. I think that when I think about Deep Space Nine, I probably won't want to revisit this. Like, I would never want to feel like, would you guys ever want to, like, reach back one day? And, and watch past tense part one and two like just for yeah. shits and giggles okay well yeah okay yeah yeah like one i feel like it's one of the most discussed episodes at this moment in time that's why other people like it why do you like it i like it because um, <laughs> um, um I, I it's because 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 i i convinced my girlfriend to watch she wanted to watch episode two after watching episode one she's like can we wait i'm interested i want to finish it so there's something there she usually hates. Well, I think shit. and I think that's the same sort of reason why people like the OA. I think that it takes its it turns the cards over. Hey, man, my girlfriend hated the OA. Okay, well, How <laughs> dare you? How dare you, sir? I'm just saying some. I, How dare I think you? Sometimes I think this is a but man. This is hard on Deep Space Nine. You're comparing this sequence to the OA. I'm about to compare it to Kale. 
So this episode to Kale. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good for you, huh? Yeah. But, but like, re- I mean, not really. Is I it mean, a cautionary tale of, the, of where we in the 1990s were afraid to go with the homelessness pro- ep- epidemic? Or was no, no, no. It's about no, no. It's it's bigger than that. It's about. I know. Like, it's so big that it can't get its arms around it for a real. No, it does though. It does really, though. No, it, it does. It, it does. It's about people stopping caring about people God. and they needing needing to be shocked into. Somebody doing something big and tragedy shocking people into caring about things again. That's what this whole thing is about. I, and I say that's a pretty weak solution to a problem is to yeah, rely I, on the shock. shock totally the pub- no, it's like that's why I think it's a failure because people need to be shaken up every now and then, and people are complacent nowadays. So I think that's where this stands out, and I think I he's I need your help, people, listeners, <laughs> defend me. Nine one seven four zero eight three eight nine eight. But yeah, people need to be shocked into caring a bit because people are good and they want to be good, but they get complacent when their their lives aren't affected by something. And that's how the sanctuary districts come about. People, it's not affecting them, and think, oh, they're just homeless people that we could get rid of. And well, maybe I'll say some of this for part two because yeah. we've had another episode of this. And I haven't seen part two in a long time yet. I'm gonna say that I think your arguments are that a Hughes argument is that this is hidden figures and not midnight and i think that we would like man i haven't watched any of those yet. Uh, yeah but i mean, I mean you, you know what i'm saying one's a movie that you know talks about an important subject but in a more more light and less sort of self-convicting difficult manner I don't and yeah. well i i think maybe there's room for both i think there's room for both too i think that, that but i think that this, and i think jim and from all i hear janelle monet does a great job and, in both i think um yeah no yeah no, i think that this show is a little after school especially about the problem yeah oh it is it yeah, totally that, is that's my problem it's from 1995, man. What do you want? I think, Star Trek. It's Star Trek. I think that, like, I think Cardassians in season two was a better racial confrontation issue episode, and I think it was uncomfortable, and I don't know where it was going, and I didn't know what I felt. Well, this isn't this isn't about racial. Well, no shit. I'm saying that it's a special, important episode. I'm not comparing. Even though, oh, the other thing that I loved about this, every time BC is the character's name in the hat, yeah, he calls Cisco boy. He's like, oh, hey, new yeah, boy. That did not go over well. And every time he does that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He gives him such a death look. And he says it three times. And every time he gets a like, it's just, oh, what the fuck? Oh, walk away, walk away the first time. And the second time he's like, what the fuck? Third time he's like, my name is not boy. It's Gabriel Bell. My name is Mr. Tibbs. It's the Tibbs. Uh, you're right. Oh, that, that is where they got them from. I didn't make that connection. But yes. Um. Okay. So all told, I don't know. I think that we're on the page. I would have just liked. I don't know. Okay, we're not. I feel done like yet. I'm supposed to like this episode more than I do. Right, I'll and I, I just don't. I don't like the conceit of the show. I think it's. I think it's kind of weak sauce for the problem it's trying to reach around. I think Wade. He enjoyed the performances. He enjoys the the romp aspect of it. Obviously, thinks it's effective and highlighting a problem. I mean, I could. I could see your your angle. I don't. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying. Maybe this isn't what I like out of Deep Space Nine, <laughs> you know. But I'm not saying it's like my favorite Deep sure. Space Nine. I'm just saying I like it. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Well, do you guys want to hear what the people of the good people of IMDb think of this episode? I'm gonna call it an eight point one. James, I I want to I want to take the under on this. Uh, so I'll take eight. 
you guys were way not way over, but you guys were over. It's got 693 votes, which is pretty high. Anything close to 700 is high. It's a 7.9. Okay. And I think that's that's probably fair. Like I said, I think like the mechanics of the storytelling, I think it was an efficient little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the only critical part of it for me is how 90s it is. Yeah. And you can't fault that because it was made in 1995. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I felt like the performances and even the philosophy and the heavy handedness is part of what I like. Can't do a fully nuanced thing about class in a primetime TV show without being a you have to try sci-fi is classically a little bit heavy-handed it's all about metaphors and time travel and why don't the, the and just a little bit of like preachiness okay yeah i mean i guess I, I i like a little bit of preachiness every now and then some people do it some people do it cool so do we are we want to do uh reviews now all right uh yeah we can move on to our email right i've waited a long time for this ain't that right new boy the name is Bell. Gabriel Bell. Hey guys, we're here for our Richard Picardo memorial yelling at my phone <laughs> bullshit of uh, scumbag for males. <laughs> <laughs> or none of the above. The, the corner of the episode where we talk about Dangerous Johns for an hour. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, we don't have to do that. Not today. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we'll just jump right into our email, our voicemails. All right. Let's take a complete shift here. This is another voicemail from Kate. And no more gore. No more gore references. Yeah, come on. This is from Kate. Hi, guys. This is Kate again. Thanks for saying such nice things about my last message. This time, I want to talk about civil defense. I really love this episode. And one thing that's important to know about me is that Kira has been my favorite character ever since I first watched the show. And she's probably my favorite character in all of Star Trek. When I first watched Deep Space Nine, I was 18, and I started watching it right after finishing TNG for the first time, which I enjoyed, but which was overall pretty disappointing in how it handled its female characters. DS9 definitely has some problems with that as well, but Kira was basically everything I wanted from Star Trek that TNG never gave me. A female main character with a compelling backstory and a strong arc over the course of the show. So Kira is really important to me, and I tend to really like episodes that give her a lot to do and that develop her relationship with other characters. And Civil Defense, in particular, gives us the first look at the relationship between Kira and Dukat. Obviously, they've interacted before, but I think this is the first time anyone brings up Dukat's feelings for her. I find their relationship really interesting. And in general, I think the show handles it pretty well. It keeps the focus on how creepy he is and how Kira is definitely not interested in him, which I appreciate. In terms of your conversation about the scene where Garrett calls Dukat out for trying to impress Kira, I do agree with James that it would have been good if she'd had a line afterwards to make it more clear how she felt about it. But I do like the scene, and I never got the feeling that it was played for a laugh. It seemed more like a cringeworthy moment to me, but maybe that's just because I can't help looking at it through the lens of things that happen later on the show. Even though Kira doesn't actually say anything about it, I think the visitors' reactions convey a lot. Giving her a line of dialogue there would have been really good, and I think the writers kind of dropped the ball on that. But an in-character explanation for why she doesn't say anything might be that she's just too overwhelmed by her emotions to think of anything to say in a moment. And then the conversation moves on, and they've all got to focus on saving the station, and she doesn't want to bring it up again. Anyway, I hope this message made sense and it wasn't too rambling. I'm looking forward to the next episode of the podcast. Bye! Holy shit, Kate. Maybe we should have Kate be the new bar. 
because that because <laughs> that was like very comprehensive and and like really well thought out and reasoned and she makes an excellent point uh, about Nana visitors particularly work in that scene yeah i think i've always been a major cura advocate i think that she's probably the best first officer and i think that that's probably a controversial uh stance to take <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa hold on hold on would you say she's the best first officer or the best character in the first officer role best first off like professionally i think she's probably the best first officer really really okay well, she's been killing. She's been. A, she was an ex-terrorist. Yeah, she's been killing. She's been doing wet work shit since she was like eleven. I think. I know. I wish she would do more of that, though. I think. Like. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that she is. She's just filling out the. She's filling out the valuation report. Yeah. And fucking up. It's Listen, like. <laughs> she's not yeah. fucking up too much, but she's a paper pusher. She's better than. Let's go through it. I meant, I meant, she's, I didn't listen, mean fucking up, but she's like. I don't count Spock because he's he's counted as a science officer, number one. So we've got Riker, and we he's a mess in and of itself. <laughs> uh, all he does yeah. is pull down his shirt and look weird. Ste- most step of over chairs. I think he, right. he steps over chairs and advocates for his captain, and sure. I think he's a pretty good first officer. And he's I good. mean, you're supposed to say that, that Riker took down Lucius. Mm. I mean, that's his big thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So, and everybody always, un- unfortunately, it's one of the most unsatisfying ways to write a character, but everybody's always talking about how good he is at his job. Okay. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's, <laughs> that's a problem. See, yeah. he's, and, and Kira's way better than Chakotay, hands oh, down. Well. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Kira is better than um, the lady Spock on Enterprise. I can't remember. To Paul. To Paul. She's better than the ball. Yes. I didn't see that. Yes. I, I don't know. I don't know. To, well, we haven't right. done take, our... Take my word for it. T'Pol doesn't know if she even wants to be there half the time. Okay? Yeah. Kira is all in. Because it's her planet. T'Pol is is a flawed... Okay. T'Pol is, is a more interesting character on paper than she is in the show. I'm sorry to be mean to that actress, but I think that she's kind of like a limited actress. And I don't remember her name or anything like that. But I mean... Oh, I, I actually care. I, for, I like her. The I actress's like, performance? Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm, that's a different argument right there, but I am pro that characterization of the I just know that she's there to have sonic showers and decontamination gel rubbed on her. That's all I know about it. She comes from a certain time of she's a, from a different kind of casting call than where they got Nana visitor. Yeah. I think she gets I get to that. have I think she gets to have a little bit of range on that show. I'm not I'm not saying she doesn't have range. I'm not I'm not I've yeah. I've I haven't watched Enterprise, but every picture I've seen of her on the internet, she seems to be in a bikini <laughs> of some sort. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, she, this went sideways real quick. But yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, let's talk about Kira because Kira is great. Yeah. So just, yeah. yeah, I think we're a very pro Kira podcast. I think we probably take exceptions with Nana Visitor early, 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 and I, I'm done with that. Uh, yeah, we're on board. And I want to go back on record is I think that you're right in that she's the most interesting character. The pro- I'm not sold on the professionally, but like I think you're right on that she is by far the most interesting character, which is all that's important. I mean, sure. really, who gives a fuck how good these people are at their jobs if they're interested? Right. So. <laughs> I think. I, I think. Yeah. That's. A, but you know what? If Cisco is taken off the board uh-huh. in some sort of engagement, and Kira's in charge of that station, I think shit still gets done. Yeah. I think. True. I think relations with Cardassia fall apart real fast. <laughs> I think. Yes. I think that's probably true. But I think that I. I still think shit gets done. 
Like I, I think that she, she's just as capable as her superior. She has a lot to learn because she's has a disadvantage of being a terror, you know, fighting. She's uh, a little quick to fly off the handle. She'd be an aggressive leader. Put it that way. Right. That's not. And bad. it's also yeah, but I mean that's a that's a, also a Star Trek trope is the hothead. Right, 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 right. right. I'm, yeah, I don't say that's a bad. And thing. she's a she's a great hothead. She's a great hot. She's great hot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she is. And she learns how to temper that. And yeah, yeah. no, she's pretty great. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, we. Um, it was a very distressing message we got la- from last week, from Eric in Philadelphia. We weren't sure if he was okay. Something got cut off. I don't know if he got murdered in the middle of his call, yeah. but it was it, it was sad to listen to a murder on a phone. That was, that was... <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I was like, "What do you do? I, do you call somebody to say I think I was witness to a murder? They called me, but anyways, but we don't have to worry about that. We're safe. Eric is fine, and he left a new message, and I'll just go ahead and play it now. Hey guys, uh, it's Eric from Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm alive. Thank God. I don't know why my last voicemail cut off. My only theory is some divine force didn't want you guys to have to talk about Meridian ever again. So it cut off the rest of voicemail. So in response to talking about this week's episode, which I've already forgotten what it was called, the Midsummer Night's Dream episode, <laughs> uh, I think you guys hit on everything that I wanted to, most of what I wanted to say about it. I'm glad that you caught the fact that Quark, wearing the Bajoran earring is absolutely the white hippie wearing dreadlocks of the Star Trek universe. <laughs> and mostly I just wanted to touch on, uh, I appreciate what you guys pointed out about how Keiko is poorly served by this episode because they never get to see her side of the situation. That's thing about the fact that it's because she doesn't really have anybody to talk to about her problems. And I think I'd have to say that that's the, the biggest problem with, the show shipping her off to Bajor is now she only exists as an extension of O'Brien. When she was a school teacher, she had a role on the station. She got to talk to other characters. She got to exist. And now that mm. she's off on Bajor and we only really see her interacting with O'Brien, she's really just a way to explore the O'Brien character and kind of doesn't exist as an independent person anymore. So... I look forward to when she's back on the station and kind of gets to exist as a human character again. Because I don't even think the writers were aware of it. I think you guys are right. that It isn't a conscious thing. It's just they, that's how women were written. And why would a woman character have her own thoughts and opinions? She's just there to make us care more about the, the male character. But anyway, that's all I really had to say about this episode. It was moments of it were fun and most of it was crap as you pointed out. Uh, so I look forward to a good episode next week and to hearing what you guys think about it. Uh, have a good one. Bye. He brings up a good point, but you've got to know that even though she has shipped off to Bajor, she's got her own friends there and she's fulfilled. <laughs> Sabar. You know, she, right. Sabar, he, he's a friend. Um, there's been probably 12 books about her adventures on Bajor <laughs> written, and I think that she's a very well-developed, fleshed-out character, independent. And in those books, O'Brien is just an extension of Keiko. So I hope that there's some justice for Keiko. Anyway, we're, we're pro-Keiko. Thank you for the call. Yeah, no, like how much, like, it would help if she had a friend oh, yeah and i don't mean like she was friends with dax but if she had like quirk's mom <laughs> oh yeah moogie would be great and her like played mahjong or we something. already know yeah. she hates luxon to troy yeah 
I didn't mean that's so that's that's so cool. All right, not mahjong, something something not tied to to, to her ethnic origin. You know, <laughs> all right, there, Senator Thurman. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, got together and played something. Yeah, that did rail yeah, but mahjong's <laughs> an old Chinese language game. Ooh, I'm gonna cut that out. That made me sound racist. <laughs> okay, okay, PewDiePie. Um, uh, no, like, so, yeah, but if she had, like, uh, a friend that she hang out with, like Bashir has Garrick, you could have a scene where she's explaining this stuff to a non- Or O'Brien or Dax. Yes. Oh, she's got Sabar, that's funny. Yeah, but we didn't get to see Sabar. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be, like, Sabar is, like, Fabio. Like, you see him, and he's, like, that would be a great episode where she wants O'Brien to meet Sabar so that he's not jealous of Sabar anymore, and then Sabar is, like, like Josh Brolin or something. <laughs> yeah, right. like, and you just have to, like, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> this doesn't fix anything. <laughs> this makes right. it worse. If it were made today, he'd be a obviously gay character. It's how they cop oh, out. Yeah. Well, they and, could have done that in the nineties. Why didn't they give her like a like a? Yeah, but in the nineties, no, you couldn't have done that in That's the nineties. This is. is pre will. Yeah, but this is pre will and Grace. Oh, Golden Girls. Golden Girls had a gay friend. Well, well, Golden Girls was ahead of its time. It was <laughs> seriously. Yeah, it was. Don't, but yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean that. Yeah, don't. I'm just. Yeah, I meant that is. Don't step to Golden Girls, motherfucker. I will cut you. Yeah. I love Golden Girls. It's the best. Golden Girls. I love soap. I love all of those. That shows that that, mm-hmm. that lady did. Uh, I just love anything with B. Arthur, man. That's all. Uh, Sam Harris's mother, creator of that. Oh, yeah. That would give you awkward feelings if you were an American Muslim who loved Golden Girls. You wouldn't know how to feel about the I mean, creator. Yeah. Well, um, um, <laughs> okay. Oh, where do we talk? Oh, let's move on to the next voicemail. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, we got yeah. Twiggy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We didn't hear from Twiggy last week. We had an email from him. But, yeah, we, we do have some uh, a quick response to a couple of episodes from Twiggy to make up. Oh, I did forget <laughs> to say last time that... Twiggy pinned his email as Dear Richard, which I think is a pretty good, <laughs> a, a, a pretty good yeah, way to uh, address us. Dear <laughs> Richard, yes. Dear Richard, I write to you in regards to the episode Meridian. Wow, what a piece of shit episode. I watched this one probably six months ago on my run through and I had mostly forgotten about it and wow, here we are again. I don't have a lot to say about this one because it was just so bad, but the two points that stood out to me the most were you've got this planet of people who've been in, for lack of better words, suspended animation for, like, what, 60 years, and the first thing that they want to do is host a fucking picnic. And (laughs) the other part that really, really just stood out for me was, why the fuck does Dax need lessons on eating out? Like, she's lived seven lifetimes, several of them as, as males, one as a reputed, like, ladies' man and getting around. You tell me she doesn't know how to eat out? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part one from Twiggy. Uh, All right. I think it, I think it kind of speaks for itself. The Meridian was a few weeks ago. Uh, that was worth I, the wait. <laughs> Yep. Um, and then if y'all have anything to say, but we can jump right into his review of Defiant, if you like. I, I totally, maybe that, maybe you'll get your, uh, that your cunnilingus is the part that is the, the host body brings and, and the, the symbiote does not, <laughs> your, your, does not, does not transfer 
Cunnilingus powers to the to the host. I, I think that's a little. Uh, I don't know above our uh, pay. I don't. I know. think it is too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just go. I just think straight. that guy was a chump, and he doesn't know Dax has lived that many lives. <laughs> yeah, right. and she was yeah. just humoring him with her. Yeah, she was just clearly just humoring him. <laughs> or she was like, "It's a fucking fruit, not a pussy." <laughs> right. Or she could have been like, that. <laughs> "All right." Uh, trying to show. All right. It was more well, about him trying to show her that he knows how to eat out of pussy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, uh, moving on. Next, let's this next part from Twiggy here. Dear Richard, I also write to you in regards to the episode Defiant. This episode was all right, but after having just watched Meridian, this episode deserves a Pulitzer. A few little uh, things from this one. <laughs> You're talking about with uh, Julian standing down Kira to go go get laid, but can a Starfleet doctor actually stand down a Bajoran officer? I don't know if she'd actually he'd actually have any jurisdiction over her or not. Um, I think the only person who likes the theme to the Enterprise show is the asshole collecting all the royalties off of it. Um, I think the <laughs> biggest problem in relation to having duplicate Riker isn't so much about um, needing like good DNA sequencing scanners or whatever. I think it's just the fact that they let him live. As soon as he beamed on the Enterprise, they should have just been like, oh, hey, uh, you're a duplicate. Um, bang, you're dead. And, you know, it's just another good old case of Starfleet being pussies. If this was a Klingon or a Romulan ship, they would have killed it. And I (laughs) can't remember who it was, but someone had an issue with uh, Kira and um, making out with uh, Tom at the end there. And, like, you know, she's supposed to be with uh, Robot Barile. But, um, dude, look, they're in different star codes. It's totally okay for him to, uh, for her to kiss him. (laughs) Yeah, how do y'all feel about the the different area code (laughs) I got? (laughs) That rule works. Or not? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I definitely think that if there were duplicates, there would be some sort of protocol for how to manage this shit. And I don't think that... I think that the the Federation would have sort of tolerated, a, a, like, accommodated a duplicate, like a clone, because that's just sort of who they are. But it is... It does surprise me that there's little to no protocol for something that has happened multiple times. Yeah, it's odd. Mm-hmm. I guess they probably just count on everybody at the Academy getting sage advice from the janitor and the gardener. <laughs> and maybe the, <laughs> when it comes to what to do with your clone. <laughs> Right? Oh, yeah. He, that guy knows everything. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. That, that's what they're counting on. They're hoping that the gardener fills everybody in on that. Um, <laughs> well, thanks again for... Uh, thanks again for listening. That was our voicemail. Keep sending us your thoughts at 917-408-3898. Uh, we might not use everything, but we might use it later on. Who knows? Keep calling. We want to hear from you. We listen to everything. We read everything, even if it doesn't make it to air. We really appreciate all every, all your words and thoughts. And uh, yeah. Are we all done? Are we three to be mounting? All right. Well, thanks for listening uh, to this week's Rules of Acquisition. We'll see you next week. Three to be mount. All right. Beep. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes? They will play them on air and try to be nice to you because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917-408-3898. That number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are. That is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication. We know you love that. Again, 917 408 3898.
Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.